Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Pretty cool video, huh? Something else that really says a lot about um, the power of a father and the power of the father's voice. And I want to welcome you to Compass. And man, so far we've had fun, you know, a little Father's Day challenge, beard or weird, or, you know, in my case, like none of the above. And it was funny, it was one of our musicians in the back, he was like, I wish I could grow a beard. He's like, one of these young guys, I'm like, just keep eating lots of protein and hang in there, man, you'll get there. But anyway, I'm Tim Jacobs, I'm the lead pastor here at Compass, and I'm so glad that you're here, especially on such a very incredibly hot day. I know you came to the early service to beat the heat, but you got out of the house anyway, which is more than we can say for a lot of people who just saw the forecast and just going to stay in their air-conditioned house. So you guys are awesome, and it's great to be with you. So a few years back, I took my son to a Diamondbacks game over here at Chase Field, and they were playing the Cubs. And, you know, he was about probably, I don't know, 11 years old at the time. And my son's got a very strong sense of right and wrong. And, you know, things, you know, they should be the way they're supposed to be. And you know, if you've gone to a Diamondbacks game where they've played any kind of um, legacy type of team, whether it's the Cubs or the Dodgers or someone like that, you know what usually happens at this stadium. He looks around and he realizes that over half of the fans are Cubs fans. And he says, Dad, he says, what is wrong with these people? He says, don't they know we live in Arizona? You're supposed to be cheering for the Diamondbacks. Why are all these people cheering for the Cubs? He was so mad about this because this is not right. You know, this is, there's injustice happening here. And I said, well, son, you have to understand that the Chicago Cubs go back many, many, many generations. And a lot of the people who live here now were raised as Cub fans because their father was a Cubs fan, their grandfather was a Cubs fan, even their great-great-grandfathers could have been Chicago Cubs fans. I mean, it hasn't helped them win a World Series in 107 years. But be that as it may, they are diehard raised. It's part of their culture. It's as if there is an inheritance that was given them, a, a legacy, a direction, an identity that they have as Cubs fans, and that's really all that they know. And so I said, you, I know you don't understand that, but what you also have to understand is for us here in Phoenix— because even I myself was raised in Los Angeles, and I was raised as a Dodgers fan. And admittedly, I kind of converted um, since I've lived here. I've lived here now 14 years and, and raising my kids here. And so I said, son, you have to understand, the Arizona Diamondbacks were formed in 1998. They're not even 20 years old yet. So we have a very young team. We live in a very young city. It's developing. It's growing. It's changing. And so because of that, you have the opportunity to be a first-generation Diamondbacks fan. You have the opportunity to be like those Cubs fans back in the late 1800s when they first started cheering for this brand-new team. You have the opportunity to be that guy. And if you stay here in Phoenix and you raise your kids here, it's, it's a legacy that you can pass on to your children about 
being a Diamondbacks fan, and they can pass on to their children. And at some point, the Diamondbacks will have the same kind of heritage that the Cubs will have, but it would take a long time. These things don't happen quickly. They happen generation after generation after generation. But in that little illustration, when we were at that game, my son saw that inheritance, the idea of passing on something down from generation to generation, inheritance helps to build identity. And so we've been on this series of Who Am I? A series on identity, and now we come to Father's Day. I want to talk to you about the role of our fathers in shaping our identity. See, this whole concept of inheritance is huge in the Bible, much more so than it is for us now. Because now you might have an inheritance that you might get from some aunt that you never met, you know, who lives in Dubuque or something, and you get some random phone call or an email saying, hey, you've got $1,500 coming from Aunt Nelda, and you didn't even know you had one. And you're like, well, this is kind of cool because she wrote you in her will or something, and you may have experienced something like that, and you don't really have any kind of connection, and we often consider that as an inheritance. But in the biblical times, an inheritance meant everything. To have something passed on from your father meant everything. And it was huge in terms of shaping your identity. It really was your place in life. In fact, there were people in the Bible who were often mentioned in groups together who were seen as the most vulnerable people on the planet at that time. And they were really listed as three types of people. They were the sojourners, the widows, and the fatherless. And they're often grouped together and they're seen as the most vulnerable. Sojourners would basically be people who would be thought of as immigrants. People who would come to a city and they have no family name. They have no property rights. They have, no, they have nothing to their name. They're unknown and they're unfamiliar. And they were very, very vulnerable in a new town or village if they were coming into it. Other people, obviously, you know, widows would be people who lost their husbands. And then same thing with the fatherless. And these people were seen in, in the Old Testament times as the easiest people to take advantage of and to exploit. And so there are verses all throughout the Old Testament that talk about God providing for the sojourner and the widows and the fatherless. And, and very strict and stern um, commandments in the, in the Mosaic law about never taking advantage of them. In fact, one of them is in Deuteronomy 27. It says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Because all three of them had something in common. What was that? They had no father. There was, and because there was no father, there was no inheritance. There was no property rights. There was no material. There was no culture. There was no one to speak a good word for you. There was, there was no substance, no foundation. All three of them had that in common. And so they were seen as very vulnerable. And it strikes me, as we look around our country today, that the number one challenge that we have is not our economics, not our crazy politicians, and out of the 300 million people we have to run and lead our country, we have two now that everyone's like, what are we going to do with these people? That's not our number one problem. Our number one problem is not even terrorism. Our number one problem is the fact that many of us are fatherless. Many people in our country are fatherless. And many of us here today in this church could fall into one of these three categories. The sojourner the widow, and the fatherless. 
You see, the sojourners can be seen as people who feel like aliens in this world. And if you've ever gone through life and you're like, man, I don't know where I fit. And you don't feel, you don't have, like no one really ever gave you direction. No one ever really told you like who you were or gave you a name. There's no man in your life who affirmed your, your strength or, or recognized your beauty. No one who told you that. And so you have spent a good part of your life trying to find it. You've been trying to find the voice of the Father or someone who can at least echo that voice or remind you of that voice. Someone to prove to you that you're beautiful. Someone to prove to you that you're strong. Because you never had that. Or if you did, it was the voice didn't come through very clearly at all. Then there are those who were widows. Maybe it wasn't that your husband died, but he might as well have died because he left you with nothing left you destitute and caused a lot of pain and grief in your life. And now here you are as a, a single mom trying to raise your children. And you're trying to do the job of two people. You're trying to play the role and you've got a, a boy that's headed towards the teenage years or maybe perhaps in them now and you're wondering, how am I going to make up for this missing male presence that I was so dependent on and so expectant of to be there when this time would come. And finally, there are, of course, the fatherless themselves, the many who never knew their father, whose image of him is distant and unclear and foreign. And there's nothing there but a big, gaping hole. And so what's missing from all these scenarios is this idea of an inheritance. And without that inheritance, there's no identity. There's no one who gives you direction. There's no one who can answer the question that you're asking of who am I and where do I belong? There's a good chance that many of us still do to this day what we do. And that if we really analyze why do we behave in this way? Why do we run after these things? Why do we have these insecurities? And not that we're ever victims because we're not victims here at Compass Church. But when we really step back and say, how do we understand sometimes the roots of our behavior? It is because of this longing to try to hear this voice. This, this longing of trying to understand who is my father? And what does he have to say to me? And without that affirmation, you don't really hear much of anything. And you don't really know who you are. And so you've been on this quest and this journey. And so it's, if, if that's you, and if that's been you at any point in your life, it's into that pain, into that wound that I want to speak to you today. And I think that God wants to speak to you today. In fact, if there's one message I want you to hear above all else on Father's Day, it would be this. God himself has an inheritance for you available now that is far beyond anything a father, an earthly father could ever give. God himself has an inheritance, not an inheritance that's just simply there someday when you die and you just have to like, you know, hope for it someday because there's, there's a huge aspect of there that, that, that's there. But inheritance available now, an identity available now, a direction available now, words available now that are far beyond anything that an earthly father could ever give. And so the inheritance is not about money or material things. It's about identity. It's about knowing who you are and what you're worth. It's about knowing your name and your heritage. 
So what God offers is that. And so what I want to do is, is answer the question, what does God have to say to the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless? Because, you know, he is so concerned about that throughout all of Scripture. As I was researching this, you can, you know, just do a little word study, and you can see book after book after book after book of the Old Testament and into the New Testament concern for those who lack this fundamental uh, quality of their lives. And so I want to give you two things. And, and talk about what does God have to say to the fatherless, to the sojourner, and to the widow. The first thing is this. Adoptions are available. Adoptions are available. Now I say this word adoption because this word, if you've been hanging around church at all, if, you wanna, if you're interested at all in learning about the substance and essence of Christianity and your relationship to God, you have got to become very well acquainted with this word adoption. Because it's huge, huge in our faith. And it's all over the New Testament especially. So listen to what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Starting with verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now with that word sons, you can also substitute daughter. It means both. So for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. A very personal name of, of, for God to say, Dad. To say that closeness, that intimacy, that warmth, that friendship. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Oh man, that's so huge. That is so huge. And we'll get to really kind of what that means in a little bit. And we'll, we'll, you'll see that come back around. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, as, as you are the real deal in your life and you really understand that, that, man, there is a God out there who wants me to become his child, there is that adoption that is available for you. And so that God's voice drowns out all the other voices, that God's name replaces the name that you may have had that may have been, been wrapped up with all of this struggle and turmoil and challenge. Now the amazing thing about about adoption you guys is that when you get adopted you get all the rights that you would as just being a biological child you get the name you get the heritage you get the inheritance and the main thing is you were made to believe or I'm sorry you were not what you were made to believe that you were See, so many people you know you hear these voices in your head or you see these images and I really want to speak, and again, some of us had great dads, and some of us had a wonderful, and, that, and that's great. And we, we, we'll get into some of that in, in a few minutes as well. But, but in, in my 20 years of full-time ministry, I'm telling you, you can trace just about all of the stuff that people are dealing with back to broken relationships with dad. And you go, how do you fix that? Well, you got to forgive him, you know, you try to write him a note, and all that stuff's fine. But eventually, you got to, you got to realize that there's a deep wound that only God can heal. And the crazy thing about adoption is, is it revolves around a choice. Now, I've got three biological children, and I love them, right? But you know when you have a biological child, you kind of get what you get, right? I mean, they come out, and you're like, well, can't really do anything about it, right? <laughs> this is what a God gave me, okay? And I remember my kids were born, and, you know, at first they're— 
you know, I know he's got, Michael Jr. had the little, you know, it's like, oh, it's a cute little baby. And, and, and they can be cute, but they can also be, like, scary looking, little monsters. Like, you know, all weird colors and stuff, and their head's all funky, and you're going, I got to hang out with this forever? But this is what you got, right? It's what God gave you. And some of you are going, that's me. No, but it's just true. Um, so, so you just have what you have, but adoption's different. Why? Because adoption, there is a choice where you go, I want you. And I don't have to have you, but I want you. You know, there are people in our church and, and even on our staff, Dave, uh, Pastor Dave in particular, who has opened his, uh, he and Meredith have opened their hearts and opened their lives to other children to come into their home, and they're, they're called to that. And you do need to be called to that, I believe. You can't just do it because you think it's noble. You really have to be called to that kind of thing. But when you do that, you're saying, I don't have to take in any other children, but I want to. And that's this, and that adoption is a beautiful picture of God's attitude towards us. It doesn't have to take us. It doesn't have to love us. It doesn't have to make room for us. But he does because he wants to. And he says, I want you. And I want you. And I want you. And I want you. I don't have to have you, but I want, I want to make you one of my children. I want to give you my name and my heritage, my background, my holiness, my future. All of those things belong to you. And so the New Testament, when you read it, and as you're reading the Bible, and you're talking about these things in your connection groups, and you're reading the Bible for yourself, when you see words like inheritance, when you see words like adoption, you need to circle those things and underline those things and go, I have to really dive into that. Because as an adopted person, it says the word heir. I am, I am an heir to this, to, what, to the very riches of God, that he gives them to me freely. And it's beautiful, and it means, it means it, I get grace, and I get, I get forgiveness, and all of this stuff. And here's the thing. When it comes to Father's Day, all of us are on this, like, this spectrum. You know, some of us, like I said before, we had great dads, and you go, you know, you're sitting next to your dad right now, and you guys are pals and buddies, and he's in all your pictures, and he came to all your games. He's just, like, awesome, right? And, you know, there's little things here and there, but other than that, you can, I got no complaints. You know, and you have this spectrum. And then on the other side, there's, there's guys that go, man, I, I, you know, I, I can't, I don't even talk to my dad because of all the stuff that he did and the broken relationship. But somewhere in the middle, you know what I mean? There's like most of us. It's kind of like a bell curve, you know? But even those people who've had really good relationships with their fathers, we have to realize that every father is just an earthly father. You know, John Eldridge talks about this, and, and he talks about how every dad will give a wound to his son or daughter. And I know because even my own kids, I know when I've wounded them, you know, when I get mad and say something, or I'm, I'm like looking at my, I'm working, or I'm looking at my iPhone rather than watching them do what they're doing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know I've communicated things to them at times like, man, dad doesn't, dad doesn't even care. He's not even listening. And I know that that can imprint itself on their consciousness and give them messages that I don't intend to send them. So I know I've wounded my kids. But my kids at some point need to say, you know what? You know, dad, he's a great guy, whatever else, but my real father is not my, my earthly father. My real father is my heavenly father. The issue for us, guys, is, part for you as a dad, is how clear of an image are you going to be of a reflection of the heavenly father? See, a really bad dad is a very, un, like, a, like a cloudy mirror. You know, have you looked in a mirror that's all messed up, and you're like, I can't see anything? You know, you try to see, reflect, I can't see anything. There's like no reflection of God there. 
and you weren't intended to be that, where a really good father might be a much clearer reflection, and you say, wow, I, I can, kind of like you look at a mirror, and you can see something else if you aim it a certain way, and it's like, that's what dad's supposed to be. So here's God, and I can see God really clearly through this dad who loves me, and who tells me, who lives with integrity, and all this kind of stuff. And then there's this whole spectrum. But, but regardless of how great he was, at some point I got to recognize that I can't put all my stock in my earthly father, good or bad. I, I, he, he's, he's somebody who's supposed to guide me to my real father, who's my heavenly father. Because the reality is, guys, every single one of us needs to be adopted. You need to be adopted. You cannot leave this world as an orphan. You cannot. You don't want to do that. Every single one of us needs to join the family of God. And the way you do that is you recognize simply this, that adoptions are available. That God put you in the family he put you in. He put you in the situation he put you in. But he's telling you adoptions are available. And so this is so important. And by the way, here again, this is where Christianity just nails this. I mean, guys, this, you know, the more I be, the more and more I live as a Christian, the more I see and I watch my kids grow up, the more brilliant I see all of the, like everything that God did. It's just, so, so for example, God sends Jesus. And Jesus is called the what? The Son of God. You go, well, I don't understand what that means, Son of God. You know, is he like God or is he the Son of God? Okay, he's God. Okay, but he's called the Son of God because as a human so he's, he's God made flesh. And now as a human, he interacts with God as his father. So guess what? He doesn't just tell us, you need to become children of God. Check, are you ready for this? He doesn't just say, you need to be children of God. He actually shows us how to be a child of God by watching Jesus. That's pretty cool. So he didn't just go, you need to be a child of God. Figure that out. No, he goes, you need to be a child of God, like him. And there's no one that could do it other than him, because no one knows what they're doing other than he does. So that makes perfect sense. So I watch Jesus to learn how to be a child of God. So I see dependency. I see faith. I see courage. I see the idea, and this beautiful picture of the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus goes into the water as a sign to everybody that he is giving his life over to the use and the service and the will of his Father. And right as that happens, the Bible says the Spirit of God descends like a dove, and a voice comes out from heaven. Listen to this. You ready for this? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Some of you have been waiting 60 years of your life to hear your father say those words. And he never did. And a lot of the things that you did in your life were out of either an attempt to try to hear those words or anger that you never did. And right there, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, hears these words. And when you are adopted into the family of God, just like it said back in Romans a little bit ago, it said heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Christ becomes your brother your brother. So it's this weird kind of combination 
that I identify with Christ, he calls me friend. Hebrews talks about this brotherhood that we have with Jesus. And so just as the Father says to Jesus Christ, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, because of Jesus, he's able to say to you, this is my Son. You are my Son. You are my daughter. And I'm well pleased with you. You go, I don't understand that. I've screwed all these things up in my life. I made a mess in my life. No, time out, time out. Yeah, you did. But guess what? Jesus lived life perfectly. And the whole message of Christianity is that the life of Jesus gets traded with your life. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. It wasn't because he did anything wrong. It's because you did. And I did. That's why he had to go to the cross. So we switch. And all the goodness and righteousness and holiness of Christ gets placed on you. And all the stuff that you feel ashamed of gets placed on him. He goes to the cross. He pays for it. The Father raises from the dead because he acted perfectly the way the Father asked him to. And it's wonderful. And he's able to look at you and say, I'm well pleased with you. How many times does Jesus say, your faith has made you well? Your faith has made you well. Not your works. See, we come to our adopted parent or our adopted God. We knock at the door and we don't go, Hey, here I am. Your life just got better. No. We come to him as poor. You know, God makes the room for us, but we don't come with all of our stuff. We don't have anything. We just go, God, I don't have anything other than I know you wanted me to, you invited me to be a part of your family, and I'm saying, okay. I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. Seriously. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you go, no, I don't want to be part of God's family because that sounds lame, and that just like, I don't like religion. <laughs> really? That's not, have we said anything about that? saying come into the family of God and hear the voice that you've been dying to hear and never heard so there's another factor here it's not merely just about you it's about the impact that you have on others coming after you and those around you now you see some of us have gone through our whole life saying God why me why did I why did you put me in a family with a bad father you know, Tim, Pastor Tim's talking about these guys that had these perfect, or these great dads that took them to baseball games and, and went to all their stuff and went to their performances and, you know, sat there with them and took them camping. And I didn't have any of that. What about me, God? Why did you? And some of you guys are coming, and you're bitter about that because you go, God, I don't understand why I was put in such a, like, stinky, terrible, horrible family. Why me? And so the only answer I can give you is the same answer I gave my son when I took him to the Diamondbacks game. You know what? You've been called to be the first one. You've been called to be the first one. You've been called to be the first one, first generation believer, the one who will change the trajectory of your family forever. Now, I just talked to a guy about this two days ago. Middle-aged dude, in his late 40s, kid's uh, our age, and, and so we've seen him at sports events and stuff, and, and he and I have got to know each other, and he's just recently become a Christian in the past few months, and, and, and we just had a real raw conversation about upbringing and parents and fathers and blah, 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 and, and he is con- absolutely, absolutely convinced. I mean, this dude was nowhere near Christ a year ago. Now he's 100% convinced. God's called me, and he's, he's working on his own kids, and he's, he's talking to them, he's taking his son out, and he's trying to have conversations because he's realized that he's raised them without God, and now they're getting into their teenage years, and he's like, God's called me to be the first one. God's called me to be the redemptive factor in my family. Holy cow. God has called you to be the one who starts the legacy. 
God has called you to be the stopgap between your children and the abandonment and abuse and alcohol and apathy and all of that stuff that you had to deal with. God said, no, that stops with you. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this common understanding that the sins of the father are visited on the sins of the children for the third and fourth generations. And you see that, and it's kind of like a consequence. You know what I mean? Like dad does this, and the kids go, well, that's what dad does, so we're going to do it too. And there's like all this kind of rampant destruction that happens out of that. However, when you see the progression, and as the Old Testament continues along, God says, you know, we're going to break that cycle. We're going to break that cycle. It doesn't have to always be that way. And that's why when you get to 1 Peter, listen to what it says. It says, and if you call on him as father, this is 1 Peter 1, verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you, listen to this, this is it, this is it, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. You don't have to be like your dad. I'm not calling you to be like that. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. You were bought with the blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So you've been ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers so that you can be the first one, the first generation Christian. So last week I was at Biola University out in Southern California. My wife and I, we celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary last Monday, and that was like really cool. Yeah. It's a fun week because I got my anniversary and then my birthday was on Friday and today is Father's Day, so it's like a fun week for me. It's like Hanukkah, you know what I mean? It just goes on and on and on. Anyway, so I go to Bi- we go to Biola because I'm, I'm teaching a uh, church planting class um, there. They asked me to come teach for one day and I was one of the instructors, so we drove out there and it's out in Orange County and it's a great university. If you guys are looking for a, a really high-rated uh, university, you should check that out. But in any case, so... I was walking, we were, you know, on the campus, and I was walking around, and I went there, that's where I got my master's degree, and it always has a special kind of emotional quality for me, because right there in La Mirada, right around the corner from there is where my father grew up, and in fact, he went to the junior high school that the college actually bought that whole junior high school and renovated it and whatever else, um, and used it for their campus, but my dad lived right there, and my dad was not raised as a Christian, but somebody from that school who worked for Campus Crusade for Christ, went up to my dad when he was a teenager in the 60s. And uh, he was at a park, a no, like a neighborhood park, right by there, and just started talking to him about Jesus as a teenager. Somebody at that school. And my dad heard, and he believed. And he got, he got um, you know, I mean, my grandparents were kind of skeptical of his faith, and they weren't really sure what was going on. It was because of that, my dad then met my mom a few years later, got some church event on the beach out there um, that he was a part of, and, and met my mom, and, you know, thank God, for the, in my case, for that. But I don't know who that guy was, but that guy, that guy led my dad to Jesus, and so my dad became a first-generation Christian. I'm not a first-generation Christian. But my dad said, you know what, I'm going to be one, and I'm going to change the trajectory of my family. And he did. And so I was raised in a way, and I remember, you know, we would talk about stuff. My dad's a, um, he's an attorney, but he's also a, a private pilot. He's a super brilliant guy. And as uh, so he flies small planes, so we grew up flying small planes all the time. And I remember being a kid, and my dad would talk to me about, we talked to me about flight, and he'd say, you know, to him, he'd teach me about the, how planes fly, and he says, there's forces out there. There's lift and weight and thrust and drag, and, 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 and this is, if you get these, these conditions right, this is what makes the plane fly. And so 
you know, we talk about this stuff. I remember being a kid, and what the message that I got was, Tim, there are, there are forces of life that govern the way the world works that are outside your own opinions or feelings. Just because you want things to be a certain way, just because you think things should be a certain way, doesn't mean that that's the way they're going to be because there are forces out there greater than you, and that's the message that I got. And so every pilot knows that you can't create your own reality. If you do that, you die. But at the same time, you can overcome these things because if you meet those conditions and if you do things this way, you can send an object into the air and you can fly far away and you can, you can understand how the world works. And so you have all this understanding of the physics, but at the same time, you, if, you, if you never, if you study all of this stuff, but you never go into the sky, then what have you accomplished? But the minute you get in a plane, you strap on your seatbelt, you have to remember at this point now, it is God who makes sure that I get through the clouds. It is God that makes sure all the systems don't malfunction because it's a broken and fallen world. And it takes faith to take off and go into the air on your own power and fly hundreds of miles in this little tiny single engine plane and have faith that the mechanic fixed it right. And so that you get down back on the ground safely where you intend to go. And so I remember being raised with this amazing integration of faith and reason. And they weren't uh, diametrically opposed to each other. They were integrated. But that's how I was raised. Because my dad understood that there's, there's things about life that are true. And you take those things and then you, you, ha you, you have a humble faith in God. And so I see a guy who has fidelity to my mother, who had integrity. I never saw him wasted. I never saw him in a compromising position. And you know, those things do have an impact. And so it's all in that context. And it characterized so much of my upbringing. But it wouldn't have been possible if for the fact that my dad didn't decide to be a first generation Christian. And that's what he's calling many, many of you to be. In fact, I have this wonderful vision that the reason that I'm here, by the way, is not just to perpetuate a bunch of Christians who just want to sit in the seat and say, give me a nice little sermon so I can, you know, get a little shot in the arm for the week. No, I, I, I dream that we fill all these seats with first-generation Christians, with people who break from the way they were raised. Who, who put this firewall between everything that they had to go through and their generations afterwards, and they say with conviction that that crap stops with me. It stops with me. My wife was a first-generation Christian, is a first-generation Christian. And before we got married, that was very much as she dealt with the abuse and different things that she had to go through in her own life, and she said, we remember we were engaged, and she's like, that's not, we're not passing that stuff down. That's not going to be us. And so you can stay, spend your whole life being bitter about what happened in the past, or you can say, you know, somebody had to be the first Cubs fan. Somebody had to be the first Dimebacks fan. Somebody had to be the first one adopted in, in your lineage into the family, and maybe it's you. So maybe you just got to get kind of just see it that way. And with all due respect, you just got to deal with the past and recognize that you're the one that God's called. And that you could perhaps be the hinge point of your family and your generation. And so, I guess with that being said, I mean, if you can't find identity in that, if you can't find purpose in that, then like, I, we must be living on different planets because I don't see what's more important for in your life for you to do. I mean, I don't see like what, what else, what more important thing could you do? 
buy a bigger house? I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like, what? So what? Get it promoted in your job? I mean, that's all fine and well, but, you know. So here's the thing. I got very little time, and they're going to start uh, flashing mean messages at me from the back. Um, I'm totally joking. It's for your benefit, though, so you should thank them. Here's the thing. I'm asking two things of you today. Number one, for some of us, we need to get adopted. We need to get adopted. And if that's you, I want to lead you in a moment of simple prayer. Just say, God, I want to become one of your children. I have been adopted.
for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.